aspects. Good morning, everyone. Um, we are starting a new series in Exodus, which will take us for quite a few weeks, and you'll be hearing uh, a lot of different voices teaching through this series. You won't see as much of me up front here, even though I will be preaching some of the sermons, but we're going to get different voices uh, who will be uh, doing, doing, going through, through this series. I'm going to be doing some different stuff, um, which is really exciting, and I'll give you guys some idea over the coming weeks what it is that I am doing. I'll be visiting a lot of the life groups, and those of you who may not be part of a life group, I'll be visiting you guys directly, and just talking about church and church life, and where is God leading us in this season, especially after COVID and all that's been going on. It's going to be a real challenging time, but really exciting to hear where God is taking us, to see what people are discerning from where God is taking us. In a sense, kind of a similar thing to the people of Israel who were kind of in a space and a place trying to figure out where is God in all of this. Now, this morning's sermon for me is going to be a little bit different. You're used to me. I like to do the history and all of that, but uh, there's also some theological things I'm going to be bringing out. So I need you guys, as I said, it's a bit different. I promise you there will be a practical, something you can grasp and take home with you by the end of the sermon, but it's going to be a little bit of a route to get there. So as I've done before, get your two fingers on either hand, go to your temples, give them a good rub. Okay, you ready for it? Strap in, okay? Now, when it comes to Exodus and this book, oh, there's so much, so much in this book. But you know, the question that, that a lot of people ask is, well, when, when did it happen? What, what you know, does, did, did it really happen? Is it, is it for real? Is it just a story? Is it true? And it's a tough question to answer. I get a lot of people in Bible college and, and, and young people in particular that just read this book and they think, there's a lot of crazy things going on in this book. You know, staffs turning into serpents and rivers of blood and locusts and all these things, the sun getting blocked out. And is this really happening, Rob? I say, well, why not? But let's go to the beginning. Let's go, when did it all happen? When did this exodus all begin? Today, we're in 2021, and there's only one source in the Bible that gives us an idea of when Exodus actually happened. It's in 1 Kings chapter 6, verse 1. At that point, Solomon has got all of Israel in front of him, and they begin to build the temple. And in the passage here, it says this. It says that they started building the temple approximately 480 years after they came out of Egypt. So we know about the date that the uh, temple was begun. And so we're thinking 480 years, let's go back, and it must be about 1446 BC, in the 15th century before the birth of Christ. Now, here's the problem though. And this is the problem we modern people really struggle with. You see, the ancients weren't too interested in making numbers exact. Now some of you are like, what? No, no, they really weren't. To them, it wasn't the number of exactness, it was the meaning behind the number. 
here is where we get really messed up. And it's, it's, it's really unfortunately uh, adversely affected our theology for years. You go to the book of Revelation, for example, and everyone will tell you there's a lot of you know, uh, analogies in there, you know, images and everything, except for the numbers. Right? Isn't it true? The dragon, no, that, that's, that's an image of Satan and this and this and that, and, and, and the woman giving birth, oh, that's an image of Christ, man, and all this and that. But a thousand years is a thousand years. Right? It's funny how we can't switch our heads to think what they wrote was completely an analogy. It was but we can't think of numbers as being a meaning. We think of it as something literal. That's the way our modern minds are trained. But that's not the way the ancients were trained. Not just the Israelites, by the way. It was very common in ancient Near Eastern cultures to use numbers for meaning rather than a numerical value. For example, let's take Moses. In uh, Exodus chapter 7, it tells us that he encounters the burning bush when he's 80 years old, right? And if we go to Deuteronomy, it tells us that he died when he was 120. And Hebraic uh, teachings tell us that when he left Egypt, just guess how old he was? 40. There's this thing about 40. 40 years in Egypt, 40 years on his own in the desert, 40 years saving Israel and bringing them out. Now, the number 40 has quite a lot of significance. We see it pop up occasionally in the Bible. Israel spent 40 years in the desert. Jesus spent 40 days. But here's the interesting part. 480 years, how many tribes of Israel are there? 12, right? Guess what pops up again? You divide 12 into, uh, 480 by 12, it becomes 40. 40 for the ancient Jews meant this, the completion of time, in the right time. Psalm 40 gives us a little hint of this. I waited patiently for the Lord. In his time, he responded. It's difficult. You look at this and you go, oh, but, oh man, that blows. How do I? But that's how they used to think. Because this number, 14, 46 is a bit of a problem for us. It's, it's far too early for there to be the Israelites. The Pharaoh at the time was, interestingly enough, a guy named Hut Moses. Because if you don't understand, the word, the name Moses, is an Egyptian name. It means to be drawn out. And it was a name given for many Pharaohs at the time because they would have been drawn out of their various gods. Hut Moses was drawn out from the god Hut. So it's a deeply, it's, it's an Egyptian name. But here's the thing, could Exodus have happened then? No. There's a number of reasons why it couldn't have happened back then. For one thing, archeological evidence in Israel by Jewish archeologists tell us that it was around about 1200 that there was a mass of towns in Canaan that were being destroyed around the same time, about 1200, 1190 BC. On top of that, they made this discovery. It's called Manepta Steel. And on it, it's fascinating, 
he writes about his campaign as he's taken his army up north to Canaan. And along the way, he encounters a nomadic tribe called Israel, which he engages in a skirmish with. And being a pharaoh, he says, I exterminated them completely. Just to show off, right? But it's interesting how he names them in here. A nomadic tribe called Israel. But here's the problem. Manepta was pharaoh from 1213 BC to 1203. Interestingly enough, his father was a guy named Ramesses II. Anyone see the Ten Commandments? Cecil B. DeMille's Ten Commandments. Okay, you've got to be old. I know that, yes. Yul Brenner. Who knows Yul Brenner? He kind of looked like me, but much skinnier. Right? He was Pharaoh Ramesses II. The, the writers back then were thinking, no, it couldn't be. It must have been during this time period. And obviously, when Menepta goes out into the wilderness to, to head up to Canaan, the Israelites are still wandering. They're a nomadic tribe at the time. But there are other ways, other ways to determine, you know, when, how, what, when did this all happen? Now, let me give you uh, a, a side thing. Imagine, anyone here read Dan Brown's The Da Vinci Code? Who's seen the movie? It might be easier. <laughs> now, if I were to tell you Dan Brown wrote that book in 1790, would you believe me? Why not? Because <laughs> it was what? Yes. Well, he's alive in our present time, but there's a, a, a thing called literary style. It's not typical of 1790, right? When you read the book, you immediately would look at it. Now, English teachers would understand this. Most of us who read the Bible don't get this, by the way, because we read it in an English that we understand, right? But you miss the nuances and the changes of language over time, right? So literary style is actually really important. It tells you when things were written. So if someone told me Dan Brown wrote a book, I was like, well, the way he's writing it, he's writing it for today. But when you read the King James Version of the Bible, what does that tell you? He didn't write that one, no. <laughs> or some of our old, old, old hymns. You know, for our young people, we hear those words and they, they look at those words, they don't know what they mean. But for those of us who have been around a bit, we, we, we know but it's an old English. It's not a style that we use today. And so we can define English over a period of time. And so not only do they use evidence such as you know, uh, certain testing techniques, but they also just look at the language, at how they were writing. It's interesting that some of the vernacular of what we use today was not in place 50 years ago. Even in important documents, you will not see certain things today that what you would have may have seen 50 years ago and vice versa so when it comes to the bible it's very interesting but the literary style changes over time even within a book you see changes of literary style this discovery this is the oldest piece of biblical writing fragment that has been found it's older than the dead sea scrolls 
It's about 400 years before the Dead Sea Scrolls. It's called the Silver Scrolls. There were two pieces, this one and a second one. It was discovered in Jerusalem, and it's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. This is 2,500 years old. Now, if you look at it, if you can just see the writing, you've got the, the Jewish translation on the right, the, the Hebrew translation, but look at how different the writing is. For those of you who are not linguists, um, Jeff, is Jeff here today, Jeff Brandt? He's good at this. Oh, the Jeff Reich is here, yes. <laughs> Do you know Arcadian? No, don't worry. <laughs> Arcadian is the ancient Assyrian language. It's another Semitic language. And here you can see how close, if you had a piece of Arcadian scripture up there, you could almost see the closeness of the language and how it's changing, evolving. People say that, that our language had evolved from hieroglyphics, whether it was Sumerian or, or Egyptian. And out of that, letters kind of formed over time. And as you see, as it forms, it gives you a good period of time. So they could look at this and say, this was written approximately 600 BC. Because we have other Jewish documents and Assyrian documents that show us very similar types of writing. So that's pretty cool though, eh? I mean, that's only about eight centimeters big. How they found that is amazing. But there's this literary style that changes. So when you go to the book of Exodus, they can tell you when it was written. Not because they have any fragments from the originals, but they can tell by the literary style because the Jews were manipulated. What's the word? Um, I was going to say minusculous. No. Um, <laughs> meticulous. Thank you. Uh, I was thinking of my knee, which is in a lot of pain right now, and I'm thinking of my meniscus, and it's getting all mixed up. Anyway, uh, meticulous. And, and, and so they, they, they would copy as it was, and when we get to the Dead Sea Scrolls, which are about the time of Jesus, right, we can see 2,000 years later that it hasn't changed. It's just remained Virtually, the Isaiah scroll has remained the same. So they're very meticulous. But because of that meticulousness, we can tell when. Very interesting, the oldest piece of writing that they're able to decipher in the Old Testament is the Exodus chapter 15. Anyone know what part of Exodus that is? It's the song of Moses and Miriam the song of coming out of Egypt, of God saving them. And the reason why, they, 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 it's like an old, old, old Hebrew. <laughs> kind of like when we pick up, it's like if I were to write a, a book today and in it I put, you know, the verse Amazing Grace in there. And, you know, 3,000 years later they discover it and no one's ever heard of Amazing Grace ever again. But they see this and they'll be like, this is a different style of writing to what this guy is writing in general. And that's what they've found with this. They reckon this was written right about the time of about 1190 to 1200 BC. Right at the time it happened. It's a song. And it might have been a song that they sang at, at, at Passover. And as they sang it, they sang it in its original form. You know the hymns today, we don't change them. I mean, we try to change them every once in a while, but we always go back sometimes to the old hymn and we sing the old hymn as it is in its language. That's what the Israelites were doing. And so Exodus chapter 15, that song is old as, as, as the story itself. But the rest of the Old Testament, well, 
was probably written post 722 BC because the language is very different. It's, it's, it's a little bit more modern compared to 500 years before that time. And they believe that it was written around the time of when the kingdom split. You had Israel and Judah, and in Judah where the temple was, the priests got to work writing down the law. Whereas before it was uh, by, by oral tradition, they decided it needed to be written, and so they wrote it out. So the question is, Rob, why are you telling us all this? What's the point? <laughs> the point is this. I think as Christians, you know, I can't give you evidence at all for Israel ever even being in Egypt. I can't give you a document from that point to say it happened. I can't give you that assurance. And I think for Christians, we spend a lot of time trying to prove everything that we've got to give us justification for believing it when the sole justification is faith. Right? The Jews believe wholeheartedly in the Exodus. This is, this is their story. This is our story. And while they, they try very hard to prove it archaeologically, historically, at the end of the day, they'll just tell you faith is what it is. And it's okay to embrace uncertainty when it comes to this. When people tell me, oh, that wasn't written at the time, you got nothing from there. I said, no, I don't. I, I don't. That's faith. I trust it. And, and, and actually, that, that gives a lot of assurance to people. We need to embrace the uncertainty of faith. It's not a bad thing. The book of Exodus is really interesting. It's, we call it a book today, but it really wasn't a book. It was part of a book. One long story that went from Genesis all the way through to most probably the end of Deuteronomy, maybe into parts of Judges. Because the second book was then written from about Judges all the way through to Second Kings, and that was written when they were in Babylon, around the, the, the sixth century BC. And these were books that they held in great esteem. They're books that for us today are very difficult to read through, aren't they? And yet, these people, it was their identity. It was who they are. You know, I try to show my kids. They're older now. I've done all this work on our genealogy, and I get really excited by it. Oh, we can go all this way back and all this, and they just got this uh, <laughs> look on them. You know, oh, yeah, whatever. You know, hey, look, there was incest in our family. Isn't that cool? They're like, no, that's not cool, Dad. <laughs> yeah, but look, there's a battle here. They're going through it. And it's, oh, whatever. And sometimes when it comes to the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, even books like Exodus, we're like, oh, yeah, whatever. But they are deeply powerful stories of people interacting with their God, interacting with our God. Here's an interesting fact. This is a part of the Dead Sea Scrolls. This is Isaiah's scroll. Um, you're looking at a document that is 2,000 years old. As you can notice, there are no um, verse numbers. There are no chapters. 
Um, there are no uh, commas or full stops. There are end of lines and paragraphs, but, but it looks quite intense. So just imagine Genesis all the way through to Deuteronomy was just like that. It was all one story. And yes, there is the law in the middle of that, and it's boring, and it's tough. They didn't see it as boring. They saw it as life-giving. They saw it as we are a people set aside by this God who loves us. They held it in esteem. They held it up. This was the, their covenant with God. It was all one story, just boom, 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 like that. There was no, okay, I'm going to the book of Exodus now. You had to kind of, I'm getting there, I'm getting there, because there's nothing to market. Oh, here it is. It was part of their story. They didn't separate it. It was all one big story. So, this book of Exodus, what's it about? It's about people being redeemed. It's a people who find who their God is, enter into a covenant relationship with him that began all the way back with Abraham and even further back with Adam. And they journey out on this path with their God. Interestingly, the story we all know about Exodus only happens at the beginning. That first 12 chapters is what we all know about with the story of Exodus. But do you know there's 40 chapters in Exodus? 40 chapters. The first 12 deal with Egypt. The next 28 don't deal with Egypt at all. The next 28 is what happens out of Egypt. Isn't that interesting? So from about verse uh, chapter 14, uh, sorry, it's actually 14, not 12, I said 12, but 14 through to 19, they're making their way to the Mount of God, to Sinai. And when they get to Exodus chapter 19, and all the way through to Numbers chapter 10, guess how much time passes? Amazing, huh? Now, this makes it even more amazing for me. When these guys decided they're going to write this down, all the oral tradition, all the stories they've been hearing, they decided to write it down. They knew all the stories within Egypt, they just kept it short. Uh, we'll give a few chapters to that. But you know what? This is actually what we're about, so we're going to spend a lot more time here. It seems like to me that the book of Exodus, rather than being about Egypt, is about actually getting to God's mountain and sitting there. And sometimes as Christians, we love the excitement of the story of, of getting out and doing mission and doing, 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 when actually God just wants to get us to his mountain and he wants us to just sit in his shade and just hear, listen, hear out for him. This is the story of Exodus. It's not just the escape from Egypt. It's the journey to God's mountain. It's the journey of a people who have been slaves for generations and are shown a new purpose under the shade of their God. 
a challenge we have this week is you've, you've done a lot of great work in your lives. I honor that. God honors that. But take some time this week to sit in the shade of his mouth. Stop at some point this week. Because God made him stop for a year and wrote a lot in that year. Because the future generations needed to know this was important. Hear me out, God says. This is my covenant with you, my people. Take some time out. Can we do that? It's going to be a long journey, a long exodus. And like I said, there are going to be different voices. All I can do is just paint you a very, very small picture of what's to come. And there will be challenges. There'll be some difficult passages that I won't get to preach. Lucky thing, eh? It's the power of empowerment. Um, no, I think I've got the most difficult sermon to preach in this whole series. We'll get to that in a few weeks' time. But that said, the story, the big picture, if you want to know what is Exodus about, we do focus so much on Egypt, but the less than half of that book, a third of it, is focused on Egypt. The rest of it is focused on Israel's journey to God's mountain. And then when they get there, which is only about four chapters in, when they get there, they sit there. Your challenge this week. You've had, many of you, long journeys. When is it time for you to stop and just spend some time in the shade of God's mouth? Will you be challenged this week to take some time out and hear him? Hear out for him. Listen for him. Open his word that he has given to us. Dwell on it. Amen. Ask the worship team to come up. Let us pray. Father God, numbers or not, <laughs> um, dates or not, how, when, and why, <laughs> sometimes we can't nail it, but that's not what this is about, Lord. It's about our relationship with you. In you taking a people to come you, to sit underneath you. And Lord, forgive us when we have put so many other things sometimes whether it's our work or our job or our, or our hobbies or our, our, our own personal things, we, we place them all sometimes ahead of you and, and, and we're not taking that time to seek you out, to camp under your mountain. Help us, Lord. Holy Spirit, convict us this week to take some time out. Time out from everything that's going on around us and to sit under your shade. For we are your people in a covenant relationship signed by the blood of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord.